Before the days of internet and in YouTube, you we was after ruin Bobby Heenan and Rick Rude. And Jake would be the break the way he's playing with snakes. Enthusiast of highest taste was always trading some tapes. Dusty said it cold to let me know about hard times. And Randy be the cream and he was reaching for new highs. Flair was always going and Andre was so imposing. Doesn't matter if nobody can seem to beat Hulk Hogan. Turnbuckles and territories. We be stuck to screens in 1980s. And we can't feed them and made them believe. By the turnbuckles and territories. Turnbuckles and territories. Welcome back to Turnbuckles and Territories, a nostalgic Gen X grown up look back to our favorite sport professional wrestling during the 70s, 80s, or 90s. With me, as always, is Barry. What's going on, George? And don't forget about Captain Kiwi. Happy to be here. WrestleMania is the flagship event for the largest professional wrestling organization in existence. In this episode, Barry, Captain Kiwi, and myself choose our favorite WrestleMania matches and discuss what made each of them so special. I'm going to tell you what made all of these matches so special. That's the fact that we watched watched them (laughs) well and we remember them (laughs) and we remember them we're getting to the point now where that's not always a given so wrestlemania how many are they at now like 40 50 how many wrestlemania 30 something ah it's it's a mind-boggling statistics it's almost like you know thinking about the super bowl or world series how many there have been 17 was the best but (laughs) (laughs) wrestlemania is that thing to professional wrestling that the world series is to baseball or the super bowl is to the nfl that's what wrestlemania really is to the sport of professional wrestling yeah well it's had so many nicknames the grandest stage of them all the showcase of the immortals the show of shows the greatest spectacle in sports entertainment the Super Bowl of sports entertainment and the granddaddy of them all. Wow. That's mind boggling <laughs> descriptive. I feel like you're a Wikipedia article at this point, but that's okay. <laughs> They're just, I mean, you, you got to give credit where credit is due. This is their big deal. This is their big thing. And honestly, nobody thought it was going to work. Yeah. That's the thing I loved, you know? It's got a lot of hits and misses. We think we picked three really big hits, but before we get into any of those, we really kind of need to get into the history of WrestleMania, its background, its story, why it even is a thing. So let's do that right after this break. So you think Jerry Springer and South Park are controversial? You ain't seen nothing yet. It's the lutest, the rudest, the crudest, the most insane, the most severe, the most extreme form of sports entertainment legal in the United States today. It's ECW Extreme Championship Wrestling, and we'll be in town Friday night, August 14th. Call Ticketmaster now. Okay, so I get to start talking first about WrestleMania's history because I don't want to talk about WrestleMania first. I want to talk about something I love from my territory, Georgia Championship Wrestling, Florida Championship Wrestling, WCW, the whole Southern wrestling movement. There was a thing called Starcade. Now, I'm not oh, talking about yeah. the video game show that was on TBS or TNT or whatever it was back then where the kids would play video games. I'm not talking Greatest about that show of all time. <laughs> I am talking about the wrestling pay-per-view Starcade. Now, I'm not sure what the first wrestling pay-per-view was, but Starcade was pretty early, and I'm pretty sure it was before WrestleMania. The first Starcade on this started off, oddly enough, on TBS, and it came out in, I believe it was 82. Right. Was the first one. And so the first one isn't really a pay-per-view. You're right. 
I forgot about that, but it was the first, I want to call it mega event. Yes. Maybe, maybe that's a better term for it because WrestleMania is synonymous now with pay-per-view. Yes. But WrestleMania owes its origins to Starcade in a large part because before that, when you had a wrestling show that was on a regular weekly basis, right? What did you have? You had main stars wrestling jobbers. Right. For the right? most part, yeah. So the main star is the baby face or the heel who's getting the push, as Aaron has talked about before. And they were supposed to be the draw, the reason the audience came to watch or sit in the crowd or whatever. The jobber, his whole job is just to get his ass beat for lose. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is. He's just there to make the other guy look good. Mm-hmm. They're an important part of wrestling. However, Starcade was really the first mega event where it was superstar versus superstar. And not just on one match. It was on every single on match all on the, the matches, card. Exactly. You know, that's the, the beautiful thing about Starcade is you got to see these stars, not just from one particular territory, but from multiple territories that were coming together, going head to head. So it was a big mega event of all main events, really. Yes, right, definitely. It, right. So that's kind of where WrestleMania has its origins. And, you know, there's the first WrestleMania uh, that was March 31st at Madison Square Garden in 85. Mm-hmm. Right. Correct. When you look at WrestleMania, like you said, uh, how many different colloquial names that you gave it there, oh, the gosh. showcase of the immortals, <laughs> the greatest show of all that, whatever it's because every single one of the matches that are supposed to be on that card could be the mm-hmm. main event on any other show. Yeah. Hands down, hands down. And honestly could sell out any other show. Mm-hmm. That's the thing right. that made this, you know, that particular pay-per-view so great because it was also what for the longest time WWF or WWE used as kind of their end of season. This is what they used to wrap up a lot of their storylines. This is where, you know, all this stuff that's been building for months and months and months finally comes to a major head in one event on one night. It was really the first part of that pay-per-view era, Starcade, WrestleMania, and that's also to a large degree, why these companies started blowing up as big as they did and started, you know, this is the mid eighties, which is when we talked about in our very first episode, the territory system, when some of the smaller territories started to disappear, I think it owes in large part to these WWF and WCW NWA pay-per-view events, taking the national audience to these one or two organizations instead of them watching their local AWA show. Now, mm-hmm. now they're watching Hulk Hogan who they've been hearing about for years. Right. And maybe they remember seeing him back in the day on AWA, but now he's the Hulkster. Well, and it's actually, you know, it works twofold. It works for the audiences who get to absolutely see all of these wonderful people that either they've been seeing their whole lives or that they've heard about and never got a chance to actually Mm -hmm. see what this person is. On the flip side, for the actual wrestlers, this was a huge, huge payoff for them. This was a major payday for them because they were going to be performing in, for most of them, the largest audiences of their entire careers. Yeah, right. I mean, you ask anybody that has done in-ring work that has actually worked for WWE, they will all say that they want their quote unquote WrestleMania moment. Oh, sure. And, you know, speaking of people who have done in-ring work, Mm -hmm. Captain Kiwi, (laughs) when you were part of that small Hawaiian organization that you talked about before, when we did the Territories podcast, I don't think you guys had pay-per-view matches. 
No, we didn't. But I would imagine that you probably had one or two shows that were in the pay-per-view style where the all the matches were big main event or big name matches, weren't they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, probably about two shows that we had over the year or so that we ran uh, were kind of styled that way. WrestleMania kicked off its very first one with one of the crazier matches I think I would have ever seen on a WrestleMania, but it set a tone for things to come later on. <laughs> the very first, I guess you would call it the main event of the main event yes. was Hulk Hogan and Mr. T versus Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff. Now, why that's so important is because at the time, Mr. T was the quote unquote television badass. He had done this thing where there was this bouncers competition or one of the very first reality show things ever put on TV where it was bouncers who were competing in contests to see who was the best bouncer of the United States and he won that. And that's what set his television career and the A-team and everything else he did after that. But because of the A-team and those things, he got so super popular, he ended up in a movie with Rocky. 1982. Yep. And Hulk Hogan and they became friends and through all of that work, they ended up together in this WrestleMania match against Roddy Piper and Paul Arndorf. Yes, that was Rocky Three, as you mentioned. And that's the one that most people remember because that's the one that brought you Eye of the Tiger. Mm-hmm. It's the one where Mick dies. I mean, it's the it's it's that seminal moment. And the thing is, that movie came out in late 82, early 83. So they were riding high on that. The A-team was just getting started. Right. They had only been out, I think, for maybe a year, if that. It, yeah, and, I can't remember when the A-team started, but it was in yeah. that mid-80s yeah, era. Yeah, it was right around that time frame. So, yes, Mr. T was one of the hottest tickets to go. And the fact that they paired him with Hogan, who was already on such a huge meteoric ride, in popularity, it just set it off. But let's take a moment here, boys, and talk about the other side of the mat on that. We're talking about Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, one of the best heels of that mm-hmm. era. Oh, absolutely. Nobody sold that like he did. And the only one that came close, his tag team partner. <laughs> well, I was going to say, there are three awesome heels from that era of wrestling. Paul mm-hmm. Orndorff, Roddy Piper, Ric Flair. Yes. And two of the three are in this match. That's what WrestleMania set as its precedent mm-hmm. to move forward with these matches. And WrestleMania didn't just have crazy, inventive, and awesome matches. It also set record after record after Mm -hmm. record. I mean, Barry, I mean, attendance, money, revenue. We got to talk about the Pontiac Silverdome. Okay. WrestleMania three set the attendance record, the largest indoor attendance record in history that Mm. maintained until it was broken by another WrestleMania. (laughs) Was it really another WrestleMania that broke it? Wow. The one in Texas. uh, I can't remember the the year that that one came out, but the Pontiac Silverdome one was WrestleMania three. It was 87, I believe it was. Mm. And 93,000 people in attendance on that. Yeah. There are cities that don't have that many people in them. (laughs) There are states that don't have that many people. Trust me. Yeah. And actually, I just looked up 2016. WrestleMania 32 was in um, the new AT&T Stadium for the Cowboys. Oh, right. Yeah. 101,763 fans in attendance. That's unreal. The other cool thing about WrestleMania is it really was the first 
big movement to legitimize wrestling. Before we get into Captain Kiwi's favorite WrestleMania match, I want to ask each one of you just a quick question before we move on. What was the first WrestleMania match that you watched? Captain Kiwi, do you remember which one was the first one you watched? The very first WrestleMania match that I watched? Or just WrestleMania in general, like if you remember which number it was. I think it was WrestleMania 8 that I had rented from probably a blockbuster. (laughs) Nice. What was the match that stood out on that one for you? Honestly, it's, I don't remember. It's been a blur. (laughs) I was very, uh, very impressed with all of it. It looked a little older than some of the newer stuff that I had watched, like uh, SummerSlam 92 Mm. uh, was one that I was actually able to watch. But unfortunately, my my parents wouldn't let me order the pay-per-views except for WrestleMania. Because WrestleMania was around my birthday. So that was one of the few. You got WrestleMania pay per views as a birthday gift. Right. Okay. Barry, how about you? Well, I have to admit, I kind of skipped the first two. My first one was WrestleMania 3. Okay. the first match that I can remember watching was Billy Jack Haynes versus Hercules in the Hercules. full Nelson challenge. Wow. Yes. The chain breaking guy. Yes. I completely forgot about him. Yes. It originally went by Hercules Hernandez. Right. Hercules Hernandez. Just went by Hercules on this one. It was him and a guy named Billy Jack Haynes who literally ripped his entire character off of the movie Billy Jack. <laughs> so, I mean, it's straight up ripoff, but it was one of those things of these are guys that nobody really cared anything about either one of them, but they put on a stellar match Mm. and the crowd was with them the entire way. Wow. What about you, George? Uh, First one I watched was WrestleMania 1, believe it or not. I'm not a huge WWF fan, but my dad had some friends at the grocery store that we owned and they all wanted to watch it. So he rented it at our house. And so everybody came to our house and we watched it. And I distinctly remember the Hulk Hogan, Mr. T, Roddy Piper, Paul Orndorff match. It wasn't the first one on the car. But it's the one I remember from that Mm -hmm. pay-per-view because I remember seeing Mr. T and having watched the Rocky movies and being a fan of them. I was just like, oh, this is a real guy. This is real. (laughs) It helped legitimize everything, man. That's the beautiful thing about WrestleMania is they're gems that are hidden in Mm -hmm. there. And they're not always going to be the top of the card. They're not always going to be the biggest guys versus the biggest guys. You get some moments in WrestleMania that are just just time stopping, you know, that you're just like, you're never going to see something like this again. Well, speaking of those kinds of moments, when we come back from the break, we're going to get into Captain Kiwi's top WrestleMania match of all time right after this. KFC presents WCW's Monday Nitro Live. See the superstars of WCW Live in action. Lex Luger, Sting, members of the NWO, Bret Hart, Diamond Dallas Page, The Giant, plus lots of high-flying action and so much more as KFC presents WCW's Monday Nitro live at the Georgia Dome, July 6th at 7.30 p.m. Tickets on sale May 29th at the Fox Office and Ticketmaster. WrestleMania 13, Bret the Hitman Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. My absolute favorite. That's a classic. That is my absolute favorite WrestleMania match of all time. Man, two awesome performers. Yes. I mean, they were crazy good in that day. Absolutely. 
as our uh, listeners probably already know, I'm a huge Brett the Hitman Hart fan. He's my favorite of all time. Any of the matches that he was in, I made sure to uh, to try to watch at least, depending on the pay-per-view. <laughs> depending on whether or not your parents would let you have it for your birthday. Exactly. How many birthdays exactly. did you get a year? I'm just curious. <laughs> How many pay-per-views are there? All right. <laughs> I mean, this match has everything from the, the lead up to the match itself. It had brawling. It had very technical wrestling. It had even some hardcore. You know, you talk about the lead up, Captain Kiwi. I'm just kind of curious. What really was the lead up? Because we know WrestleMania matches come from feuds. They don't just happen like at the event where somebody says, well, put these two guys in the ring. They're months and months of planning going in. And this is WrestleMania 13. So they've had plenty of time to perfect this. Do you remember how this feud between Stone Cold and Bret Hart got started that led to this match? Bret Hart had taken some time off. He's taken some time out of the WWF at the time. Stone Cold was on his meteoric rise to the top. Was this after the Austin 316? It was actually right before. Oh, okay. Wow. That was at King of the Ring, wasn't it? King of the Ring in 1996. About that time, he started kind of taunting Bret Hart, insulting him and and trying to uh, challenge him. Oh, so he was initiating the feud. Right. Bret Hart finally accepted the challenge, ended up coming back. That's what kind of kicked off the feud. Did they only wrestle at pay-per-view matches or did they do stuff like on Raw and SmackDown or whatever shows were on at the time? A lot of it was was on uh, different pay-per-views. Some of it was on Raw. They had a, a really kind of grueling match at Survivor Series of uh, 96, which uh, Hart had beat Stone Cold. Coming back to the Royal Rumble of 1997, uh, Bret Hart had eliminated Stone Cold Steve Austin from the uh, Battle Royal. However, I think it was Mankind and Terry Funk were kind of having a brawl outside the ring. Oh, God, I remember that one. That distracted the officials. Stone Cold went back into the ring. Hart had just eliminated the last person in the uh, the ring. I can't remember who it was precisely. But Stone Cold goes back into the ring? He goes back into the ring, comes up behind Bret Hart, throws him out and was declared the winner. Oh, so that's got to piss Bret Hart off. He was livid. (laughs) (laughs) See, and here's the thing I think is so fascinating about this. You got to remember, kids, Stone Cold was the heel in this match. Sure. He started off as the bad guy. But it continued on at the In Your House of 12 or 13. One of the last ones that they had. They had a, uh, a final four uh, four oh, the Four Corners match. match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember right. this one. I remember this one. Yeah, yeah. Which Bret Hart won in doing so, won the uh, WWF championship. Oh, that was a match where it was a four-way match for the title. Right. However, the following night on Raw, Bret Hart had to defend the title against Psycho Sid. Oh. <laughs> he had Psycho Sid in the sharpshooter, and uh, Stone Cold came up and hit him with the chair. Nice. So Stone Cold getting back at Bret Hart for winning the title interferes in the Psycho Sid match and costs Bret Hart the title. Right. All right. Well, I got to ask, I want to hear about this match because when we first tried to decide who was going to talk about which of these matches, all three of us were like, we've got our top five and all three of the matches you're going to hear about tonight were on all three of our lists. So it was really just a matter of deciding on it. And this was one of my favorites. Okay, Kiwi, take me into it, man. Austin's the heel, Hart's the face. In the middle of WrestleMania, talk me through it. It started off in the ring, as most matches do. It was a (laughs) brawl. (laughs) Let's hope. It was a full-out brawl. Stone Cold was was pounding on Brett. Brett was pounding on Stone Cold. And they ended up taking it outside the ring. So they spill out into the audience. Right. 
you know, they did, did a bunch of you know, brawling out there. Even uh, the Super Super Mario from the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, Captain Lou Albano was in attendance. What? <laughs> <laughs> Captain Lou? Captain Lou is there. Wow. The, nice. the original Super Mario, not yes. the Chris Pratt Super Mario. We're not going to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong on this one, because if I remember correctly, there's a spot in the match where Steve Austin gets busted open, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. And isn't that the scene that they used, like the opening of Raw for years to come after that? I believe so. Where he's just completely doused. That's the one where his like heart is holding him kind of near the ring ropes and he's stretched out with his belly yeah. on the ground. Yes. Right. right. It's. I think he's got him in the sharpshooter, didn't he? Is it the sharpshooter? I think he does. He's got, it's either the sharpshooter or like a Boston Crab or something. Because the close up of that raw graphic, you can't really see that part. You're just, it's zoomed into his face screaming and yeah, blood he's, pouring yes, down. Yes, he's leaning on his hands, kind of arching his back and you just see red crimson mask going the entire yeah, time right. man that picture probably should be in a online dictionary for the definition of crimson mask oh yes absolutely because oh, plenty yes. of people have bladed and cut themselves and all like that but that shot that you're talking about that's iconic oh mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and i mean he was just doused he was completely covered chest shoulders head the whole mm. nine yards so what was it about this match captain kiwi that made you pick this as your favorite match i'm just kind of curious well i mean i'm a bret hart fan so that that kind of okay. helped also a stone cold fan but from the from the brawling to the hardcore using chairs and the ring bell to the actual technical and submission techniques that were being used just absolutely loved it it was great it's just definitely one of the top wrestlemania matches of all time how does it end how do i mean you know who be who beats who in this match well bret hart obviously okay bret hart <laughs> beats bret hart what happened <laughs> no Br- bret hart uh, gets uh, stone cold in the sharpshooter okay and rather than you know submitting or giving up because of the pain, blood loss, whatever, Stone Cold passes out. Can't continue the match. And I'll say it, Kiwi, I'm so glad you chose this match. This is one of my favorites just because of the fact that it's the first time I'd ever seen a match where the match started off with one guy as a face and one guy as a heel, and by the time the match was over, it had switched. Correct. The crowd had turned completely. They turned completely on Bret Hart. I love it. That's a good point. Heel switches happen very often in a scripted manner. You mm-hmm. know, one guy kicks another guy accidentally in the face, and then that guy turns his back on him as a partner or whatever, and he goes Walks off and he's the bad guy. Or, yeah. So that part often happens during a match. But what doesn't often happen that you're talking about there, Barry, is Mm -hmm. the unscripted switches that the audience decides upon. Usually, the audience follows along with the story that the wrestlers are telling. But in this case, the audience picked up on subtle things that the wrestlers were saying that weren't overt and Mm -hmm. switched their allegiances in the middle of the match. In the most polarizing way. I mean, I have never... I know Bret Hart had gone back and forth as far as face and heel several times. He'd been both sides of that, but I have never seen Bret Hart get the heat that he got after that match. It was Mm. unreal just watching the entire crowd just turn on him. At the end of the match, Bret Hart started to attack Stone Cold again. Like after he's unconscious Mm -hmm. and he's won the match. Wow. That's what was one of the things that kind of uh, caused the audience to, to flip. Oh, sure. To this moment, still one of the best matches of all time. I, any of these matches we're going to talk about today, if you're going to want to introduce somebody to wrestling or to a WrestleMania moment, would be a great example for it. But this one mm-hmm. was a damn clinic. 
Night action Christmas night. The Omni in Atlanta. A sensational card. Les Thornton, the man of a thousand holes, clashes with Mr. Wrestling number two. David Sammartino comes to grips with Rene Goulet. Mr. USA, Tony Atlas, clashes with Terry Gibbs. Tag team event. Barry Windham and Mike Rotundo take on the Moondogs. Ladies Championship, Wendy Richter champion against Judy Martin. Grudge match, Black Jack Mulligan clashes with the Iron Sheik. Tag team title match, Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch champions against Jack and Jerry Briscoe. For the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship of the World, Hulk Hogan, champion against Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, Christmas night, 8-15, night of champions, the Omni in Atlanta, tickets at the Omni at all seats, locations, don't miss it, be there. All right, boys, you talked about an amazing match to start off, but I'm going to go with the ladder match to end all ladder matches. This is my absolute favorite WrestleMania match of all time. I give you WrestleMania 10, Madison Square Garden, March 20th, 1994. We actually touched on this in one of our previous episodes. You have the bad guy, Razor Ramon, mm. versus the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Yeah, this was what we went a little bit in depth on in our intercontinental title podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Uh, just to kind of recap a little bit on this, make a long story short, Shawn Michaels had almost gotten kicked out of WWE, but he was suspended for quote, Failing to make contractual <laughs> obligations. <laughs> You're going to use that in every podcast. That will never get old. I'm sorry. That will never get old. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> anyway, so they the, the, the belt was essentially abandoned and Razor Ramon wins it on Raw from beating Rick Martel after a, uh, yeah, let's, uh, after a, uh, uh, a battle royal. Well, I'll say they made the right choice in that decision yeah, as to who was going to get so. the belt there. The whole setup was Michael still had his belt. Ramon still had a belt. They hung both belts from the top of the rafters and brought out the ladder. Mm. Now, this is the first ever ladder match shown on WrestleMania. And most importantly, this set the precedence for ladder matches being a no holds barred match. Now, for those of you that don't know what that is, essentially that means no count outs, right. no suspensions, no rules. Yeah. Anything goes. It's just whatever and the stipulation is for winning. That's the only thing that matters. Absolutely. And these guys went, oh my gosh, there were so many spots in this match. It was crazy. This is the one that... Uh, and I'm sure anyone that's watched wrestling in the last 30 years or so has seen that spot where Shawn Michaels is leaping off the top of a ladder onto Razor right. Ramon. Right. This is where that comes from. It's important to note, you said it was the first ladder match of yes. WrestleMania. I think it's also important to note what people think of as ladder matches now are not what ladder matches started out as. No. Ladder matches back no. in the day were one ladder. Yes, and if it broke, you still had to use it. Right. <laughs> now there's 50 ladders underneath the ring in the pit of hell, wherever it is they keep pulling those things from. <laughs> and they're all different sizes and they put them up in different ways. Some Now they lay them from the ring apron to the barricade yes. and body slam. But back then it was all about verticality. That's yes. what working a right. ladder match was about. It wasn't about smacking somebody in the face with a no. ladder. Well, there was a little of that in this as well. I mean, there was yeah, a couple of times it where it wasn't where, the focal point. No, right. No, it wasn't a matter of let's see how many spots we can do 
with a ladder. It's let's see how many spots we can do on a ladder. Right. And yeah, that's exactly. the difference. And these guys just went. Match was only 20 minutes long, but to watch it, you would think it went on for like three days mm. because they just beat the ever-loving snot out of one another. There was so many points where I think there was one scene where HBK is reaching up and he's actually got both belts right under his fingers when uh, Razor kicks the ladder out from under mm-hmm. him, so he's sitting there hanging from both of the belts. That's really the first time that I remember seeing that spot happen. Now it happens all the time. Oh, sure. But it's just yeah. this idea. When it happens, though, now it's an homage to yeah. that match. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just watching him sitting there, you know, swinging back and forth, holding on for dear life with these two belts when he's a good 10, 15 feet off the ground with mm-hmm. this guy sitting below him that's ready to kick the ever-loving crap out of him when he comes down. <laughs> and I love the, like, the bicycle kicks he was doing with his yes. legs while he's hanging there. It was yeah, awesome. It was, beautiful. it was awesome. I mean, it's just that the whole, you know, back and forth, it was just the entire time. So the match finally finishes off. Michael's fall gets his legs trapped in the ropes. So he's he's incapacitated at that point, which gives Razor the opportunity to set the, the, the ladder up and actually make his way up to the top and grab both belts. And just to see that moment of him sitting astride that ladder, holding up both belts, mm-hmm. it's a special moment. And it's led to so many other moments with the Intercontinental title. It's, you know, with ladder matches, with just the, the idea of a WrestleMania moment. I mean, there's been moments before there's going to be moments after but this is really the first one where you got to see two friends who knew each other well enough and trusted each other well enough to put on a lights out five star match that people are still talking about 25 years later oh yeah and it's held up as a standard of ladder matches absolutely you know some wrestling fans who are more casual listening to podcasts may not understand me. Ladder match, ladder match, you know, what? what's the big deal? So there are all kinds of gimmick matches in professional wrestling. There's everything from the tables, ladders, and chairs matches, which evolved from mm-hmm. the ladder matches, to the bikini matches in whipped cream, the to ring the shave fire. your head or never get to wrestle in the organization again. There's always gimmicks in order yep. to intensify the, the seriousness and- of the event and the match match itself. Yeah. This is one of those times when you get done, like you're saying, Barry, with the end of the match and you've got that pose of Ramon mm-hmm. on top of the ladder with the belts. It almost felt like a movie. Yeah, it did. It felt yeah. like it was the the highlight of the action. And that's just great storytelling. Yeah. That's when you have two masters of their craft able to pull off what they were able to pull off and put on such an epic moment. And the funny thing is, this wasn't even the main event. No. This was not the main event, but this stole the show. This was the one thing that people will talk about from WrestleMania 10 for years to come because it was that good. It was that epic. I love that you brought out the fact that this wasn't the main event of that Mm -hmm. WrestleMania because the one that we're going to talk about next Arguably the most important because it's my favorite WrestleMania I'm match. I'm so jealous that you pulled this one. <laughs> it this was, was also my number two. not the main event of the WrestleMania it was a part of. Mm-hmm. When we come back from the break, we're going to dig deep into my favorite WrestleMania match. World Wrestling Federation action returns to the Market Square Arena in Indianapolis Tuesday, September 13th at 7.30 p.m. Tickets are available at the box office and all Ticketmaster locations. On the card, you will see Ravishing Rick Rude meet Jake the Snake Roberts. 
the Intercontinental title on the line as the Honky Tonk Man faces the Ultimate Warrior. At the WWF Championship matchup, it will be Macho Man Randy Savage taking on Andre the Giant. All of this and more, Tuesday, September 13th at Market Square Arena. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, ch- sorry, wrong podcast. <laughs> I apologize. I get caught wrong up. intro. Wrong I get intro. Caught up sometimes. <laughs> no, so we have talked about Captain Kiwi's favorite WrestleMania match. Awesome match. We've talked just about Barry's favorite match. Another awesome match. However, they all pale in comparison to the granddaddy of them all. Ooh, that's a bold statement, George. Okay, well, here we go. March 29th, 1987. Okay. 93,173 attendees in the Pontiac Silverdome get mm-hmm. to witness Steamboat versus Savage. Tell oh. me I'm wrong. Call me a liar, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, man. That was an amazing I, match. I hate you for pulling this one. <laughs> <laughs> that is some of the perks of being the host of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you get to decide what you want to talk about. To use the, uh, the, the Jeff Jarrett line, he's got the stroke. That's right. <laughs> The <laughs> reason why this is my favorite WrestleMania match is really because it is two of the most technical superstars of the era. Yeah who were also perfect, solid storytellers in the ring. Absolutely. Now, both of these guys have their highs and their lows. Steamboat is not a great promo guy. He's good, but he's not a Ric Flair. He's not a Dusty Rhodes. He's not even a Randy Savage. But telling his story inside the ring with his moves and the way he reacts to the other wrestler, Mm -hmm. there may not be too many people better at it than Ricky Steamboat. Not to mention, even Ric Flair says Ricky Steamboat is the greatest babyface of all time, and it's oh, yeah. hard to disagree with Ric Flair. That you're not wrong there. I mean, th- just the matches that those two had, you know, could fill up an entire podcast alone. Oh God, yeah, yeah. The Flair for the gold alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, just crazy. But there's also another person on the other side of this equation, and that's Randy Savage. And having watched quite a bit and read quite a bit on this sub in preparing for this episode, Savage and I have a lot in common and I kind of knew it, but I didn't really think about how it influenced this particular match. So I don't know if you guys know this, but Randy Savage really wanted to be a professional baseball player. That was his Mm -hmm. first one. Yep. And the position that he played was catcher, which is what I played and was drafted to become. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I was supposed to be, you know, a Pittsburgh pirate. And then my dad asked me to play High school football blew out my knees. That took care of that. <laughs> well, Savage was playing for the Cardinals, though, wasn't he? Yes. And yeah. But the thing is, he was a catcher. And what I know of being a catcher myself, we are meticulous planners. Catchers mm-hmm. look at their opponents. They look at their hitting tendencies. They look at what pitches they like, they don't like in certain situations and certain pressures. And that's why catchers generally at certain levels, like once you get to high school and above, catchers are the ones who are really calling the game on the field. Catchers are the ones setting the infield. Catchers are the ones who are telling the pitcher what pitches to throw. 
catchers are the ones who are setting up themselves to determine how the hitter is going to be pitched to. People don't understand just how much influence catchers have over the game of baseball. Right. Randy Savage took that planning meticulousness into professional wrestling. He would write these long drawn out scripts. George Steele, who he had been in a program with just prior mm-hmm. to this match, said he really disliked Savage because in one of their first matches, he came up and handed him a 40 page script oh God. for how the match was supposed <laughs> to go. Step one, step two, step three. And you got to realize George Steele is the veteran. Savage is the young guy coming up at this point. And Steele's like, dude, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive. Shut the hell up and go back to your room. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'll call it in the ring. Savage had been the title holder of the belt that they mm-hmm. were wrestling for since February of 86. So WrestleMania is in uh, March of 87 of 87. And so <laughs> he had been the holder for over a year of this title. Now, during that time frame, there was an incident where the two of them are wrestling for that belt on a regular episode. I think it was a Saturday night of main event show it or something Saturday like that. Main event, yeah, I remember it. And during the match, Randy Savage being the bad guy with, you know, his valet, Miss Elizabeth, you know, and at the ring and he's wrestling uh, Ricky Steamboat. At one point at the end of the match, he lays Rick Steamboat over the apron, drops an elbow, which Savage is famous for his elbows. He drops an elbow across his throat. And mm-hmm. of course, Steamboat is grabbing his throat, thrashing about. And then to make matters worse, Savage goes and gets the ring bell smacks it down on his throat and in kayfabe in the storyline crushes ricky steamboat's larynx so i have to admit something watching this as a kid that is the first time i'd ever heard the word larynx i didn't even know what it was Uh, This happened in November of 1986, so about four months or so before the WrestleMania happened, because WrestleMania at that time happened March 29th. This was in November, and he crushed his larynx. That, A, kept Ricky Steamboat out of the wrestling storylines, but they would still do vignettes where he was trying to relearn how to talk. <laughs> and they would have these these doctors who were really just whoever was backstage that they could throw a lab coat on, God, you know, helping this. him on these sets at the different arenas because they with would the, film the, all these at the, the arenas. neck brace. I remember the him neck in the brace, neck brace. Right? Yeah. <laughs> now, at the same time, as we talked about, George the Animal Steel had been in a feud with Savage prior. Well, George the Animal Steel had he had developed a fascination with Miss Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Shall we say it? begin kidnapping her from ringside and carrying her (laughs) off like the gorilla cares off Fay Ray. I was about to say, it's it's King King Kong. Kong. It's straight up King Kong. It was. And it was so funny. Now, we all know Savage behind the scenes was intensely jealous of anybody who looked at Elizabeth the wrong way. He got mad at George Steele multiple times for, quote unquote, picking her up the wrong way. You picked her up by her armpits and touched her boobs. I'll kill you. I mean, he was known for being batshit crazy about her. A little Um, bit. A little bit. Yeah. It's hard for me to blame him because she was gorgeous and beautiful, but- Mm -hmm. You know, unfortunately, she also came to a tragic end, as we all know. You know, uh, that's a whole nother story for a different episode. But this was as much about the IC title as it was about George the Animal Steel, Miss Elizabeth, Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat, all four of them coming together. They came together on that pay-per-view, George Steele in Ricky Steamboat's corner, Miss Elizabeth in Savage's corner, and 
maybe one of my favorite announced teams of all time after listening to this match. Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura on the <laughs> what mic. What are you saying, Gorilla? <laughs> <laughs> I love those two together. I, I would put them neck and neck with Jim Ross and Jerry the King because they're pretty close. They are neck and neck right there, yeah. man. I mean, the only reason why you might say they're a little not is only because they had less time together. True. And you'd have like Bobby the Brain Heenan sit in with them, which made it even better because nobody's. Oh. Yeah. I mean, Jesse would kiss ass to Bobby Heenan like nobody on this planet. It was awesome. <laughs> and so the great thing that I want to point out is this was one of the first bad guy, good guy, vocal talent combinations. Yes. You didn't mm-hmm, see right. that that often in professional wrestling. It was usually a straight guy and a color guy. Yep. And I don't, I mean, like, you know, a color commentator. <laughs> right. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you for clarifying that. that. <laughs> yeah. In this case, you had Gorilla Monsoon, who was the baby face of the announce team, and Jesse Ventura, who was absolutely the heel and was always on the heel side. I listened to their commentary because I rewatched this match three or four times and I listened to their commentary. And Jesse Ventura, almost every single time he makes a comment, he is actually correct. Gorilla Monsoon <laughs> is usually two faced and full of shit. Mm-hmm. in his comments because he's always on the baby faces side steamboat even when steamboat is doing something that is illegal yeah now as fans watching it at the time we all were on steamboat's side and anything steamboat did to savage was comeuppance it was just cause it was karma right yeah absolutely Jesse Ventura was calling the match correctly and straight. And, you know, that's just, I can't believe you, Monsoon. When we were talking about that in the match earlier, you were all against it. And now you're on, you know, it was brilliant. If you go back and watch this match, just close your eyes and quit watching the match and just listen to those two guys go for a while. Well, and somebody once told me a long time ago that you could tell a great match if you turn the sound off and just watch the match, were you still interested in it? Sure. And this match definitely, I think all three of these would definitely qualify under that. However, Monsoon and Ventura brought so much to the energy on this match, watching it on pay-per-view, watching it from home, watching it online. They just drive the match almost as much as Savage and Steamboat do. Oh, Oh, completely. Of our matches, this is the shortest match. Believe it or not, this match- 17 minutes? 14 minutes, 50 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. 14 minutes. I timed it down, man. I'm telling you, I have all these stats about this match. (laughs) 14 minutes, 50 seconds in this match. There's something that happens in all wrestling matches. Momentum shifts, right? When one Mm -hmm. wrestler gets the upper hand over another. Yeah. How many momentum shifts there were in this match? I counted them. How many? 14. Wow. Wow. In 14 minutes and 50 seconds. That's almost one every minute. Now, this one also had a lot of uh, uh, false pins, didn't it? It did. That was kind of the point of this match. Part of the planning that Savage did with Steamboat was they wanted this to be a championship caliber match. And at that time, the championship caliber matches had a lot of false pins. So there was a section there in the last five minutes where they literally roll back and forth between like five or six pins. Mm Mm-hmm. Those I don't count as momentum shifts. Those are just switches. I'm talking about one guy getting the upper hand over another guy and beating him down. Right. 14 of them. Oh, my God. That's crazy. That is insane. That's why that match is so exhausting to watch. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another (laughs) thing. You could say that about all three of these matches. Watching them after you're done, you need a nap. Yeah. Because it's just, it takes so much out of you from an emotional standpoint on what they brought in the ring with the commentary teams, with, you know, Dave Hebner with every aspect of it that it's just like it sucks every bit of energy out of you to watch it but that's what makes it so amazing another 
thing that made it so amazing. You've got two people in the corners, Georgie Animal Steel, yep. and you've got Miss Elizabeth. One of the other parts that makes this such a great match, it's a clean match. Neither of them really mm-hmm. get involved in the match in right. any way to interfere. Uh, there's a couple of times when Animal Steel, like he picks up Steamboat and puts him back in the ring to avoid a count out. Right. But that's as far right. as it really goes in this match. It's really a brilliant piece of two guys being able to tell their story. I love it. Yeah. And a great story it was. Oh, yeah, it was great. At the end of the match, you're always going to have a wind up and you can feel when a match is usually about to come to its conclusion. Mm-hmm. This was the match just before the main event. And so they had to wind it up, like I said, 14 minutes, 50 seconds. So under 15 minutes, they do it with the standard kind of stuff that we know now, but wasn't really as standard at big events then. So they have a ref bump. That's where the referee gets knocked down accidentally by one of the other guys. And Savage actually pins Steamboat for a full four or five seconds while the ref is down. Usually ref bumps are done where the good guy gets the pin and it doesn't get recognized. This was a flip where the the bad guy had the pin cleanly and legitimately and didn't get the win that he should have gotten. So I thought that was interesting. Another part right after the, the ref bump, of course, Savage does the elbow. He gets the pin. Then he goes for the ring bell mm-hmm. because he's going to reenact crushing Steamboat's larynx. This is the one point where George Steele gets involved. He grabs the ring bell away from Savage. He pushes Savage off the top rope where Savage was going to crush Steamboat with it. They go back and forth between a couple of different things. What do you think the final pin is? It's a roll up. It's a small package ladies and gentlemen (laughs) it's kind of an odd way to end that match you expect it to be the flying press from steamboat off the top rope maybe but no just a small package but see i disagree with you i think that ended the way that it should have ended because if you remember right before that those guys were both just gassed absolutely gassed they had nothing left in the tank i think you're probably right in that and that's interesting to think that those two guys being as good as shape as they were that Mm -hmm. they were gassed it's because they were really throwing their all into it oh yeah we've seen absolutely you know people like rick flair go for hour Mm -hmm. at a time in a match and not get gassed and he's the exception to the rule but those two guys you're right they had thrown everything at this match they were gone it's a really fun ending and it's also the first time in wrestlemania history that the intercontinental heavyweight championship changes hands on that pay-per-view oh wow i didn't know that yeah yeah to be fair they only had two of them before that so yeah true (laughs) when you look at these matches i was attributing to kind of like looking at art and there's certain art that you'll look at and you'll say you know what okay i remember seeing that or i remember seeing this piece and then there are other ones that you remember every single brush stroke that you saw in that picture. Mm. And that is the Steamboat Savage match. You remember every moment, every false fall, every you know changeover in emotions on this. Even the lead up to it, the whole thing with the larynx getting crushed, the moment at the end where Steamboat is standing up and just completely gassed. Yeah. And the part that you didn't mention was Savage's reaction to losing. Nobody sold losing better yeah. than Savage. That's true. That guy, because he had that wild hair that would come out the side of it and it always made him look like he was about to pull it out by his hands it's a brilliant match it really should have been the main event of the card and it kind of was even though there was another match that happened to happen after it wrestlemania it's the pinnacle of 
professional wrestling for a reason. It has some of the best matches in history and it has a huge influence on mainstream wrestling today. I mean, these matches are the blueprints that most pay-per-view matches are built upon now. So I think it is time for us to get out of here, go back, rewatch some more professional wrestling through whatever avenues we have of the seventies, eighties genre. It's been such a fun time talking about these three WrestleMania matches. Before we leave, though, I want to talk a little bit about the next episode coming up. (laughs) Barry, kind of think you might want to introduce this one. I am so excited about this one. This is one of my favorite. This is, in my opinion and in other people's opinions, I've gotten feedback, the greatest faction in the history of wrestling. And I'm not talking the NWO. I'm not talking DX. I'm not talking the Four Horsemen. I'm talking the Heenan family. Oh. See, you pull that one out of left field because most of the modern wrestling fans are going to go with the other ones, but I think you might be right. And we're going to talk all about that one in our very next episode. Until then, Barry, thank you so much for joining me today. You got it, brother. (laughs) Captain Kiwi, always a blast to have you here, sir. Glad to be here. And listeners, we will see you again next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Before the days of internet and in YouTube, we was after booing Bobby Heenan and Rick Rude and Jake would be the break. Our theme song is courtesy of nerdcore hip-hop artist Beefy. Explore his work at beefiness.com. Turnbuckles and Territories is a production of Gen X Grown Up and a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Turnbuckles and Territories, we be set to screens in 1980.